0: Good morning, Booger Welcome back to Pasha Perspectives for today. Great to be together as we continue to make our way through safer Shmos, continue to watch the story that we know so well unfold, and continue to derive and extract lessons for today. We have many sponsors today, so grateful to them all. First of all, our Pasha Shire continues to be sponsored of, annually by Becky and Avi and family in memory of David Grossman, Becky's father, L'Ilui Nishmaz, Dove ben Manish. We're so grateful to Becky and Avi. This morning. shiur is also sponsored uh, and dedicated by Jonathan Jarashaw in memory of Noah Rafa Ben Yosef Chaim Shmuel Tzvi Ben Ben Yaman and and Chayabas Avram Yitzchak, his mother Carolyn Jarishaw, whom we uh, remembered last night at a special memorial. It's also sponsored by Sarah Brodnoy in honor of the 100th anniversary of the arrival to the United States of her father, Israel Sherchuk Yisrael Ben Dov Bear, Thank you very much. Also dedicated an amnesty for the Refua Shlema, Hirsh Chanach Ben Sarah, should have a complete speedy and painless refuah Shlema. And lastly, this morning's shir is sponsored also by Kevin, Rabbi Kevin and Kira Rine, in memory of Harav Yehuda Kelmer, Yehuda Ben Dov, today is his second site. The great Rabbi Kelmer of Samsted, young Israel of Osamsted, who was an extraordinary, extraordinary person. I had the privilege of knowing him not well. I wish I knew him better. Many of you knew him very well. He was an extraordinary Talmachacham, a chavrusa of Rav Gifter and Talmud of Rav Chaim Shmulevitz. He, in his late 20s, when people went to the Rav of Salavechik with a complicated halachic question, he would send them to Rabbi Kelmer, who was only in his late 20s at the time. That's how outstanding a Talmachacham he was. But as great as a Talmachacham he was, was even surpassed by his chesed. It's worth just telling you one moment before we dive into the parsha: The kind of extraordinary Baal Chesed, Rabbi Kelmer was an amazing Rav. So loyal and loving and caring and affectionate to all the members of his Kihila, all the members of his community in West Hempstead. There was a story of a baby who was born prematurely, was in the NICU. The couple were there for several days, weeks with no sleep. And the uh, husband went home one night to get sleep. He came back in the middle of the night and he found Rabbi Kelmer outside the NICU, facing the baby, davening for the baby. He had gone in the middle of the night, didn't even tell the parents, didn't coordinate, just went to go daven. That's who he was and that's how he felt the pain of those in his community who needed it so badly and needed it so desperately. He was uh, tragically hit by a car outside his shul and uh, ultimately recovered, got better before he passed away and left this world. But a friend of mine, a fellow Rav, one of my colleagues, ran into Rabbi Kelmer. It was a while after that accident. And he said to Rabbi Kelmer, you know, I feel so terrible. I never called you, I never, I never called you to see how you were doing, to be mevakechola. And Rabbi Kelmer gave him a great line. He said, you know, There is no isser of Baal Ta'acher when it comes to Bikr cholim. The Torah has a prohibition of Baal Ta'acher. You're not allowed to delay in bringing a korban. If you made a commitment, if you made a pledge, a promise to bring a korban, you made a pledge or promise to donate, to give a gift, and there's a timeline, an obligation of when you have to give it. Baal Ta'acher, you're not allowed to delay. You can't pass the expiration date. So he said, essentially, there is no expiration date to tell someone you care. It was such a nice and gentle way to let that rabbi off the hook. Instead of saying, yeah, you know, you could have called. I waited by the phone. You know, I would have gotten better a lot faster if you checked in on me. Can't believe you couldn't call or, you know, too little, too late. Nice of you to say it now that you ran into me. Instead of saying any of those things, I don't know why they all come to my mind so quickly, but instead of saying, instead of saying any of those things, he turned to that rabbi and he said, there's no bal acher. There's no expiration date on telling someone you care. What a gentle and kind way to put it. So today on his second year at site, we remember Rabbi and we dedicate our Parsha class among all the others to him. And with that, we begin. Parashas Vaera, page 318 in the Earth Scroll Stone, Va'daber Moshe, Vayomer Elov Ani Hashem. Moshe has successfully been recruited by the Almighty. He, together in partnership with his brother Aaron, will go and be God's spokespeople. They will go and they will go advocate, represent Hashem's interest in trying to liberate his people. You'll notice a shift here. Again, one of the things we try to do in the Parashas Perspectives class, aside from extracting lessons for today, is to gain a greater sensitivity to the text, to not read the same parsha every year the way we've done it before, but each year to grow and to grow in our questions and our curiosity and our sensitivity to the text. So the Pesach says Vayedaber. Who spoke to Moshe? What name of Hashem Vayedaber? Elokim, El Moshe Vayomer And he said to Mani, Hashem, did it ever bother you? Why do we switch? Who speaks to Moshe? Elohim. And he introduces him and says, I am Hashem. Which is it? Stay consistent. Are you Elohim? Are you Hashem? Why is there the shift in the beginning of this parsha, in this opening pasuk? My friend Rabbi Ari Murzov shared with me an amazing Noam Elimelech, the Heligar Belimelech of Lezhinsk. And Rabbi Noam el-i-Melech says the following, V'zehu veidah Elohim hu we have many ways of saying speech to communicate, to transmit. You have Dibor, you have Amira, you have Hagada, you have sipur. We have many verbs that are not exactly synonyms but that all relay the notion of communicating. When we employ the word Dibor, Vaidaber Elokim, Dibor is Lashon kasha. It's strict, it's harsh, it's strong. It's like the announcement to turn off your phones strong. And that reflects mid of Yira, of awe, of fear, of an awareness of Hashem. Hashem shifts here. He begins with a strong, harsh language. Justice, strength. And then he shifts to, but he says, don't worry. Ani Hashem, that Elohim, the Judge, the God of Din, of strict justice, who speaks Vaidaber harshly, but I'm also Ani Hashem, I'm loving, I'm kind, Midasarachamim, compassion. Where is that shift and why the shift? Says the normally Melech, says the Helegar of Melech. you have to look at what happens at the end of last week's Parsha. You have to look at the conversation that takes place between Moshe and Hashem. How did the last week's Parsha end? We're picking up in the middle of a conversation. You really have to reach Shmoz v'aira one right into the other. What's the middle of the conversation we're picking up on? At the end of last week, Moshe turns to Hashem and he says, Moshe el Hashem vayomar." He turns to God and so brazenly, so courageously, but also so brazenly with such chutzpah, he says, "Lama hareyosa, lama zeh? Lama zeh shlachtani? Hashem, what are you doing? Why are you causing such pain, such grief? Look at my people. Look at my brothers and sisters." They're working, they're breaking their backs, they're losing their children, they're suffering oppression and persecution. Why? Why would you do that? Why are you causing such ra? Why are you bringing such evil to these people? For this you sent me? For this I'm your representative? For this I'm your advocate? Now, how does Hashem respond? Cliffhanger, last week to this week. Moshe unloads on Hashem. He turns to Hashem, and he unloads, he points an accusing finger, and he says, Would you send me? Look at this. This is what you call redemption? This is what you call liberation? This is what you call, what's going on over here? He invokes the Midas Adin, says the Noma of Moshe. Yira, Have a little awe, have a little fear. But then he shifts. says, "Ani Hashem, what's going on? Listen to this, Noam melech. an unbelievable Elimelech of Lejins Shkoyach, Rabbi Murzov." He first begins. He first responds to Moshe. Midas How'd you just speak to me? Would you just point your finger in my face? Who do you think you are? I'm the infinite, omnipotent God, creator of the universe. All that I do is for meaning and purpose. Who do you think you're talking to? Don't misinterpret it. Don't read it that Moshe had brazenness. He didn't have chutzpah. It was a holy chutzpah. Moshe's love for the Jewish people was so great and so strong. His care and concern for his fellow Jew was so overwhelming and so powerful, he couldn't help it. And when he turns to Hashem and he protests, and he turns to Hashem and he objects, and he says, How could you do this? It goes from Vayadaber to vayomer, from Elokim to Hashem. Why the two changes? Says Rav Eli Melech. Says the normally Melech. Because Hashem was entitled to respond and Midas, I didn't say, who the heck do you think you are? How dare you point a finger in my face? How dare you accuse me? How dare you, who doesn't understand, first begin to understand the ways of this world? How dare you question and challenge me? But then Hashem says, but I see that you're not questioning and challenging out of rebelliousness. You're not questioning and challenging because you want to walk away. You're challenging me. Why? Because of your Avas Yisrael. You cannot stand to see a fellow Jew suffer. And because of your Avas Yisrael, you can't help but protest to me. So, Vam to Vayomer. From Hashem answering him strongly, Vayomer, gently and lovingly. From Elohim, Midas Adin, to Hashem, Midas Arachamim. What an unbelievable nomaling Malach. And why is this so important? Because, my dear friends, we have people we love and we cherish. We have family members and friends who are going through hard times. And we daven. We daven for them. And we turn to the Rebun Shalom. Who are we to daven for them? How dare we challenge Hashem's ways? If He's determined this is the best thing for them, everything Hashem does is for the best. So who are we and how dare we question His ways? Maybe this person should remain ill. This person should remain single. This person should remain barren. This person should remain... Who are we? says the Heliger of Elimelech, says the Heliger of Elimelech of Lezhinsk, the Rebunah is welcoming our protest and objection. If it comes from Avas Yisrael, we're entitled to turn to him and say, Hashem, in the end I surrender and submit. At the end, whatever you choose, you're in charge. But I must level my protest. I must raise my objection. I must offer my tefillah and tell you, lama hare osa la'am hazeh. My brother, and my sister, this child, this adult, this person I love. How could you? How dare you? Whatever you decide in the end, I'll fall back. I'll surrender. And the Kaddish Baruch who turns from an Elohim to Hashem, from a Vayidaber to Vayomer. Because in the end, the Rebun Shalom welcomes such a comment, such an objection, such a challenge, such a challenge. And then he gives him the promise. I appeared before your forefathers, Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov. And I didn't tell them my name. And I fulfilled my promise to them. And here we have the four languages of Geula. The four languages of gaula which we've shared many times recently in the Siddharth Snippets. When we talk about redemption and Gvura, the second bracha of the Amidah, here the insight of the Torah Tamima and others. It's not for synonyms of Geula, Dalad Lashonos, It's not for synonyms, but it's really for separate stages or languages or experiences of Geula. Geula, redemption is not linear. Redemption doesn't happen overnight. It's not binary. You're either in exile or you're redeemed. It happens in stages. It happens incrementally. It happens slowly. There's an aschalta de Ga'ula, which is not a modern language of any Zionists. Aschalta de Ga'ula is a language of the Gemara. Gemara Megillah. The Gemara Megillah says, Melchamanami aschalta de Ga'ulahi. And that language, Melchamanami aschalta de Ga'ulahi, we mentioned in Siddur Snippets, that language is used by the Munkacha, the Minchas Eluser. That language is used by others in their tshuvas. Aschalta de ge'ula. Ge'ula happens in stages. There are four separate stages. It's incremental, it's not overnight. We have to stop and pause and mark and celebrate each stage and recognize. Rabbi Hezkel Abramsky, the great cousin Yechezkel, says you learn something very powerful from here, from these psukim. Because he says, he made a promise. And then, only then, you'll know, says the Helga Chazin Yacheskel, k'day shala'akir ma'sheum, me'sheum, m'nifloos Hashem Yisbarach, v'an ha'gassabria, chayyavim laharkiv mashkafayim shal Ubiladeim u'beladayim ha'adon You could be looking at the same world events, you could be reading the same newspaper, you could be following the same things unfold around the world. But if you're not wearing your Torah glasses, if you don't have your Torah outlook, if you're not filtering all of your experiences and you're not filtering everything that is occurring through the prism of Torah, then you won't begin to understand what is happening. Then you won't begin to be able to appreciate. Even if you say, something unusual, something different. Something extraordinary going on. But are they mere coincidences? Are they randomness or chance? Are you even ascribing a miraculous nature? But if you're not wearing your Torah, you won't see Hashem and they won't impact you and transform you to feel close to them as a result. The Pasuk promises we will be redeemed from physical oppression and persecution to a place of spiritual redemption. Only once we receive the Torah, you know, a person sees a 3D film. If you're taking a tour of a place and sometimes they have at the Museum at the Visitor Center, a 3D tour of the place. And it's really cool. It jumps out at you and the seats move, and the thing spritzes and it's amazing. But you know, if you don't get the 3D glasses, you don't really have the experience. It's all a blur. You say something unusual is going on. My, shaking, my, my seat is shaking and the ceiling spritzing and something's going on on the screen. Something extraordinary. But if you don't put on the glasses, you don't really see what's happening. When did we get the glasses? Matan Torah, Kabbalah, HaTorah, Har Sinai. We got the glasses. Only then can we, in retrospect, understand and see. When you didn't know, when each of the first stages were unfolding, as each of these plagues were occurring, as each of the incremental advances and in progress and redemption were happening, and you couldn't put it all together, and it didn't make sense, and you didn't see the big reveal, you didn't have the 3D, it wasn't coming at you that I am Hashem, the creator of the universe. I orchestrate, I curate, I'm in charge, and I control everything. Only later, when you wear the glasses, will, will, will it be, Kani Hashem only then will it be, Yedatum. will we know, in retrospect, Lemafreya. And therefore he says, You could be brilliant and smart and insightful. You could be somebody who observes everything. And yet, unless you're wearing the glasses of Torah, you won't know how to interpret. You won't see the guiding hand of Hashem. It will not bring you closer to Him. So as the events were unfolding, which were a curriculum, Paro, when Moshe and Aaron first approach him, deny several things. I don't know your God. I have my gods. I never heard of your God. And who put your God in charge? Maybe if you have a God, God. maybe he's not involved in life. And even if he's involved in life, maybe he can't control nature. The Makos were a three-part curriculum. That's where the be Behuda the Seder breaks it into three groupings. It was a three-part curriculum, pedagogy, in response directly to the three things that Paro said he was in denial of, he didn't understand, he didn't believe. But the Jewish people too received this education through the Makos. We too understood that Hashem is in charge and control, that He is bringing us out, that He is the one who is redeeming us, that He's bringing us out in these stages as well. Why not Vehevesi? There's one more word and yet we don't mark it. What happened to Vehevesi? not four synonyms or languages, but four stages of ge'ula. And what do we do corresponding with them? The Dalad kosos. Tosos and our P'sachim brings down the Dalad kosos, the reason we drink four cups of wine at the Seder table. We tell the story of leaving Egypt over four cups of wine, not only because we can only tolerate being with all our family that long around a table for that long if we have four cups of wine with it, the last man standing, who makes it till Chad Who makes it till the end? We have four cups of wine for it, corresponding with these four stages of redemption. What about the fifth language? What about the fifth stage? What about the fifth stage? So some say it's the Kos of Elio, why don't we drink it? I've shared with you in the past, not for now, the Torah Shlema, Menachem Kasher, in the introduction to his Torah Shlema, on Sefer Shmos, that he wrote in Europe, which was going up in flames. He describes there, he writes there, we discussed, we, we studied him in People of the Book. You can find it online and past the I shared with you. He writes in that introduction in incredibly powerful terms. He describes, as the world around him was going up in flames and it seemed like it might be the end of the Jewish people, he says, what we're living right now is a hundred times harsher than anything you read in Sefer Shmos that describes what it was like in Golis Mitzrayim. And I don't know that we'll survive. And I don't know what the future will be. He writes so powerfully. Fast forward. He survives, he makes it to Eretz Yisrael, and he proposes in his Haggadah Shlema, in his Torah Shlema on the Haggadah, Haggadah Shlema, he says, we are living through the fulfillment of the Hevesi. And he went to the chief rabbinate of Israel, and he went and lobbied Gedolah Yisrael across Eretz Yisrael, and he said, we have to drink the fifth cup. Not only did we make it out and survived, but we've made it to Eretz Yisrael, the fulfillment of the Hevesi. We were brought into the land, we got to drink the fifth cup. They didn't listen, they didn't accept it, ultimately. But to see those two introductions to Sefer Shmos, written in Europe, and then to see Haggadah Shlema, where he's living in Eretz Yisrael, a Jewish sovereignty and Jewish control and a Jewish government and a Jewish army and yeshivas and Torah sprouting and growing and blossoming, and you see the difference in the way he writes, it's unbelievable. That contrast is incredible. It gives you goosebumps. But Taka, why don't we drink that fifth cup? Why don't we drink to Vehevesi? Why wasn't it established as a fifth stage of Geula? So I got a new Sefer was sent to me, Arzei HaLevanon. Arzei HaLevanon is a, a new sefer. So I opened it up to see who wrote it. And it is a collection of Divrei Torah. There's not necessarily original thoughts, but a beautiful compendium collection of Divrei Torah from others. But Rabbi Aryeh Gans. Rabbi Aryeh Gans. Okay, Rabbi Aryeh Gans. who's Rabbi Aryeh Gans? So I open up the introduction, and he writes, and he thanks Rabbi Aryeh Gans. He thanks his father, who's been learning in Lakewood for 70 years, Rabbi Herschel Gans, and his mother, Miriam Gans, and I said, those names sound familiar. And uh, yeah, Miriam Gans is my mother's first cousin and Herschel Gans, so it's written by my second cousin. <laughs> He's done an excellent job. So Rabbi Ari Gans, wherever you are, thank you for the Sefer and it's an excellent job. He didn't send it to me, but it's an excellent Sefer. So he quotes here Vehevesi. It's called Arzei HaLevanon. Arzei Levanon, the cedars of Lebanon. He collects from Great Gedol Yisroel, beautiful Diveri Torah and insights on the parsha. So Lachsam Sofa writes, Hadein Shosen Kos Hamishi Kineged Without the first four, there wouldn't be a Jewish people. We wouldn't exist. We wouldn't have freedom. We wouldn't have a sacred Torah. We wouldn't have arrived at Har Sinai. We wouldn't exist. However, and I'm going to get emails from Allah the Aliyah snobs for this, but to bed, without the Hevesi, there would be a Jewish people. Kiihudi Huluk Sha'atmo Gambali Eritis Israel. Erit Israelhi Matana Gedolo Vetovol of Neisraul Avogambali Erit Israel Fsol Yoshi Hudi. Of course let me qualify this. Of course, Am Israel Eretisrael Toras Israel, of course we belong there. And it's not if it's when, and all of us should get up, and the Pasha class should be every Tuesday in Yerushalayim Irak Kodesh. And all of us have no excuse. We should not be satisfied here. We need to figure out not if, but when we're going to live there and go there and get there. We have an obligation and responsibility, v'chuleh we daven for it every day. Of course, of course, of course, of course. However, for the last 2,000 years, if the Jewish people felt our identity and our continuity was dependent on our homeland, we would have ceased to exist 2,000 years ago. How did we survive spread out across the four corners of the globe? Only because as important as Eretz Yisrael, as central as Eretz Yisrael is to who we are, we do and can have an existence without it. We've only survived because we believe we could without it. We'll get to in Sefer Shemos how the Aron Kodesh had poles in it and the other utensils. You took out the staves, the poles from it. But the badim of the Aron they remained in. Why did they remain in? Many reasons and suggestions are offered, but Rav Hirsch says, because the Aaron Kodesh, the Torah Akadosha, is ready to travel. It's always ready to travel. It moves in transport, and transit, wherever a Jew goes. Don't think that Torah is only relevant in Yerushalayim, in Eretz Israel. Don't think Torah is only relevant to you when you're at home in your hometown, in your base medrash, in your shul. When you go away on yeshiva week, it comes with you. When you go away on business, it comes with you. And when the Jewish people are sent into Golis, into exile. It comes and it travels. We transport it with us. And that's why the Oron always had the bottom. They remained in, you never took them out. So it says the Chhsam Sofer, even though that fifth language, the Hevesi, is a promise and we are meriting in our time the Eschat of the Geula to see its fulfillment, to see its fulfillment. Nevertheless, we don't drink to it. Why? Because we need to understand the fundamental difference between the first four and the fifth. The first four are core to who we are. We couldn't exist. We wouldn't exist without it. Whereas Vehevesi, as central, as critical, as core as it is, we only survived because we existed without it. Rav Hirsch, he quotes next, says, When the Jewish people conquered the land of Israel, the first paragraph of Aleinu was composed by Yehoshua. Second paragraph of Aleinu was composed by Acham. Achan, you remember the story of Achan? Achan, who took from the spoils and denied it. A special test had been done. Kirish revealed who took. He finally admitted it. And when he admitted it, and he took the punishment and accountability for it, he composed the second paragraph of Aleinu. And how do you remember that? He embedded it in the first three words. al Kain nekava is an acronym, Achan. Achan wrote the second paragraph. Yehoshua wrote the first paragraph. Every day when we say Aleinu or sing Aleinu, Aleinu Yehoshua is the author of Aleinu. It's amazing. On Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, Aleinu, the way we say it. On the weekday, while the tilling are coming off, while we're on our way out of shul, while we're closing the sitter, while we're already walking out, cleaning up, Aleinu. That same tefillah, depending on its context and the day of the year, can be the holiest thing that we say while falling to the ground, or it could be the most neglected thing that we say while doing something else. A lot to study about Aleinu. So when did Yehoshua write, when did he author Aleinu? When they came in and conquered Israel. What did Yehoshua write? What did he write? You didn't make us like the other nations of the world. Why was that the first thing on his mind when he came into the land of Israel? Certainly, also inspired by the fact that they're going to purge the land of Israel of idolatry, paganism, non Jews, and they're going to establish Jewish culture, Jewish law, Jewish life. But also, said Rev Hirsch, what was Yoshua saying? Every other nation, first they need to inhabit a land, and when they conquer or inhabit a land, then they form an identity of who they are. We are the one exception. We, in a desert, We gained our identity with no land. And we wandered that way for 40 years. We were a people before we had a land. And only then, after wandering 40 years, did we conquer that land. You didn't make us like the other nations of the world that first we had a land, then we got an identity. First, we have an identity through Torah and that identity can exist and inform and inspire and holds us accountable wherever we live. And then we take our land because that's where it's most pronounced and fulfilled and realized. And in 2,000 years, when we took a break from that land, it was able, therefore, to come with us. That is our yesod, that we are not dependent. And that's why, says the Chassam Sofer, elaborating, Rav Hirsh, that's why we don't have Vehevesi. Okay, Moshe again demurs, Moshe again protests. Moving right along. So, at the end of last week's Pasha Moshe offers this brazen protest to Hashem. Hashem should strike him down. Hashem should say, how dare you? Are you out of your mind? Instead, he says, okay, a little taken aback. But I realize it comes from Ava Yisrael. I realize it's only coming because you love your brother or sister so much. You know, it's like you have a child who acted out. And so you punish that child. And now the sibling comes and talks to you a little chutzbedik, but advocating on behalf of their sibling. On the one hand, you want to put them in their place. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you're talking to? On the other hand, you love the fact that they're fighting for their sibling. You gotta love the fact that they're stepping up and standing up for their sibling. So Hashem first reacts Vaidaber, Elohim, and then Vayomer and Yashem because I like it, Moshe. It's coming from a place of obvious Israel. I'm willing to accept your protest. And now I need you to know, I promised your forefathers and their four languages that are fulfilled. And when you put on your Torah glasses at Har Sinai, everyone will see and understand in retrospect. You watched, first you watched the movie without the glasses and you got spritzed and you shook around, you didn't understand what was going on. But later you'll get the glasses, you can watch it again. And then you'll see it pop off the screen at you. And now you'll feel close and connected to it. And then it continues. By Hashem, Moshe. He says, Bo Paro now that I explained it to you, now we're all good. Now that I've responded La Now come, No? bo, come. We're going to Melch Mitzrayim, And Moshe says, wait, They're not going to listen to me. Paro. The Jewish people didn't listen to me. How will Paro listen to me? I got a problem. Ani I've got a problem. And my problem is a speech impediment. I have a speech impediment. I am aral sifasayim. I've got a speech impediment. Now, something to consider we're not going to go into right now, but I'd like to give you questions. Didn't he already tell? He tried this. Tried this move. He tried this move to get out of it. You know, you go ask someone to be the committee chair. They say no three times. David Musav, they say no three times. We'd love to honor you at the dinner. No, this reason, that reason, the other reason. So Moshe Rabbeinu first hesitated. He told Hashem, I can't do it. Why? And what did Hashem answer? He said, I'm not articulate. I'm not eloquent. I'm not a spokesperson. I can't, I don't speak well. It's not going to work. And what does Hashem say? Don't worry. We need you for your good looks and charm. Aaron will do the speaking. Don't worry. We need you for who you are, where you come from, what you represent. Aaron will be the spokesperson. Fast forward. Hashem says, Moshe, we're good now? You got that out of your system? We've worked this out. You good? Good. Let's go. Moshe says, whoa, 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 whoa one second. I, I, I don't speak well. Yeah, we, we covered that, Moshe. I told you Aaron's got it. Why is he trying it again? Why is he invoking the, whole, the old Aral Svasayim? Why is he bringing that up again? i leave that for you as a question. But how did he get Aral Svasayim? Where did the speech impediment come from? I don't mean was it his mother's side or his father's side, whose genes? Where did the speech impediment come from? The Drusha Saran makes an incredible comment, an important comment. The Drusha Saran, Rabbeinu Nissim Ben-Ruven, Gerondi, he was born in Barcelona, one of the great Talmidim of the Rivash, the Namuke Yosef, the great Ran. I've Nisim, find them in the back of the Gemara. The Ran is Drushas. I think Art Scroll actually released Drushas Haran in, in English. It's worth studying. Brilliant, Drushas. And then this Drushas, around Drush Gimel. This is in Uttar Plos HaTorah. I got Shmos. I got Shmos. Thank you, Be- Beagle Eisen. HaRi <laughs> Moshe Rabbeinu HaYe'avi HaNaviyam V'Yishlim HaKesh Boruch one is the Ran. Moshe Rabbeinu is Alamilus. He's Alamilus. He is in perpetuity. What's Moshe's last name? Rabbeinu. Nobody else in all of our history in perpetuity has a designated last name, Rabbeinu. He is our collective teacher. It doesn't matter what kind of yarmulke you wear on your head, you cover your hair, you don't cover your hair, where you send your kids to school. It doesn't matter what denomination you belong to. It doesn't matter which... Translation, which Chumash carry in your shul, for all of us Moshe is Rabeno and as Rabeno he has all the milas, he has all the wonderful, wonderful criteria, qualities, characteristics. So why give him a speech impediment? Moreover, the Gemara those learning the Daf should be familiar with it. Chacham Gibor Ashir Anav. Prophecy only resides, prophecy only rests on a person who is a chacham wise, who's a gibor. Well, you have to work out at the gym, you're on steroids. Gibor doesn't necessarily mean how much can you bench press. Gibor means what? Kovei Yisra, how disciplined are you? Ashir, you have to be wealthy. Why do you have to be wealthy? You have to be independently wealthy because you're not subject to bribery. You're not going to be biased in your conclusions. You're not going to be distracted by fear for you don't know what to put on the table next. V'anav. And you have to be exceedingly humble to practice humility and modesty. the maidam And for where do we learn all these qualities from? These are the prerequisites and criteria. These are the qualities. I don't know about equality today. You'd have to get rid of all these. Everybody can be a Navi. You're not allowed to distinguish between them. You know, okay, whatever. So who do we learn all these from? I got that out of my system. Who do we learn all that from? The Gemara Nadarm says we learn that from Moshe Rabbeinu. So the, the paradigm, the template, the model of a Navi is Moshe. And from him we learn what are the prerequisites to being a Navi. Not your SAT score. What are the prerequisites? Chacham, Gibor, Asher Anav. So why give someone who has all these Milas a speech impediment? Why give him a speech impediment? Why make him a, a bal mum, so to say? And we see that from birth, the Ram points out, because the Gemara, we mentioned this last week's Parshashir, the Gemara Tzotah derives, v'nei na'ar was he a baby or was he a nar? When Bisya Basparo opens the basket and she sees, is it a baby she discovered? Then why does it to say the na'ar boche? the young lad is crying, which the Gemara concludes that he had a mature voice even as a baby, which the Gemara says, Maybe you made him a baumum, a little, a little mum. So why did he make him this way? Listen to what the Ran answers. I'll tell it to you outside because we still have a lot more I want to cover. You know what the Ran says? Moshe Rabbeinu, taking us out of Egypt, standing up to and confronting Paro. All those are wonderful things on his resume. They're important things that he did. They're part of the reason that he was recruited, but they're not number one. What's number one? What's number one on Moshe's list? Why was he recruited and what did he do? He went up on a mountain for 40 days and he came back down and he gave us the, what do we call it? Torah's Moshe. Moshe emes v'soroso MS. It's the Torah's Moshe. Moshe was the mouthpiece of Hashem. Moshe is the megaphone. Moshe is the spokesperson. Moshe is the one who took the Torah from Hashem and brought it down and made it accessible and transmitted it to us. What would have happened If Moshe Rabbeinu was Mr. Charisma, if Moshe Rabbeinu was the most eloquent, articulate, charismatic speaker, what would people that generation and later generations say? Say, I don't know if Torah is true. I don't know if it really comes from God. I don't know if it's authentic. I don't know if it's divine. Maybe he's a great speaker. And a great speaker can get up and convince people of anything. Hitler, Yamach Shimovizhro, you see videos of him standing before enormous crowds. Given his own biography, it's shocking that he emerged to be such a person. But he was a charismatic speaker, an evil, wicked Yamach Shimovizhro person. But there are terribly nefarious figures throughout history who not only didn't represent truth, they represented the opposite of it. They were the epitome of evil. But through their charisma and their compelling rhetoric, And through their ability to speak and to bring out and to elicit emotion, they moved audiences and they moved mountains and they moved the cosmos and they changed the world. And lest anyone later say, Moshe was like that. There's no God. There's no Torah from God. This Torah is not authentic. It's not real. It's not divine. Moshe was eloquent. Moshe was charismatic. So Dafka, Dafka, the person who would be the one who would transmit Torah, had such a speech impediment that nobody ever would say, you know, it's his charisma, it's his powerful speaking style, it's his incredible ability to tug on our heartstrings. Nobody would ever say that. Nobody would ever say that. There are, there are figures in the Jewish people too, who got into a lot of trouble because of their charisma. And people buy into their charisma, and they're not Toho Kubota, who they are inside is not who they are outside. And a lot of people lost a lot of faith and I won't mention names, but spokespeople throughout even my lifetime who were incredibly charismatic teachers of Torah, who then were the subject of enormous scandal, and it causes the people who learn Torah from them to question their whole commitment and connection to Torah. There are people who then went off the derech and abandoned Torah because their whole connection came through someone with charisma. Torah is not founded on charisma. Torah Kadosh itself has charisma but it doesn't rely or depend on charismatic people to teach it, it doesn't. We're blessed to live in a generation that we have outstanding Torah teachers and the technology to access them whenever we want, wherever we are, in whatever language we are most comfortable. But the Torah does not depend or rely or need charismatic people. And that says the Ran is why Moshe Rabbeinu had a speech impediment. It was by design so that nobody would accuse. Nobody would accuse him of his charisma, his eloquence, his compelling style, his persuasiveness. Nobody would ever say that. Now the shloh, she brings down here, and the Shla ends with every chen. that's chen, it's cute, it's nice, it's nice inside of the ran. However, he disagrees, because the shloh says we got a problem. Because according to the ran, that would mean that Moshe Rabbeinu, when he gave the Torah and came down from Har Sinai, when he communicated the Torah, when he got back how did he do it? With a speech impediment. What's the problem with that? Something extraordinary happened at Harsinai. Based on the Pasik Chazal tell us that at the moment of Harsinai, the Mechilta, Rashi quotes the Mechilta, that at the moment of Harsinai, everyone with any illness, physical, mental, emotional, was healed. An incredible refuah Shlema. We all were entitled and deserved equal access to Torah, and everyone got it. So there was an enormous healing that took place at Harsinai. So, was Moshe also healed? Did his speech impediment go away? Or did it remain? According to the Ran, the whole reason for the speech impediment was for this moment when he would teach Torah. So of course it remained. So does that mean that he was an exception to the rule? Medrash Chazal didn't tell us that. Moreover, the says, Moshe Daber ve'elokim ya'an so, because of these questions, the Shlach concludes that the Ran is wrong. The Ran is wrong. That's what he concludes. So, and he says he dug up a that says that, in fact, the very same person who said Loish Dvarim Anochi when he stood at Harsina Torah and Also, what's the name of the fifth book of the Torah? Dvarim. Why? How does it begin? <laughs> so the same person who was in Loish Dvarim Anochi gave over the entire fifth book of the Torah, Dvarim. He found that power of speech, the capacity to speak. That seems to suggest much more like the Shla than the run. So where did he get the speech impediment from? We spoke about it last week. Story when he was taking the crown off Paro's head. Paro challenged, uh-oh, is this kid gonna try to compete with me? So Yisro had the advice, the coals, the gold. He reached for the coals, he burnt his tongue. Paro was relieved that the kid was not a threat. And uh, then we asked last week, well, why wasn't his hand burnt? Why wasn't his hand burnt? Which we left that as a question last week. And we'll continue to leave it as a question this week. The Megad Yosef, Got to keep you coming back next year. (laughs) The Megid Yosef says the following. On this Pasuk, very interesting observation he has. None of you noticed. Vaidaber Moshe, it's the next word. Again, we're on Parag Vav Pasuk Yidbez, page 320 in the Arts Girl Stone, Chumash. Vaidaber Moshe, what's the word? What's the most unusual word in that Pasuk? Which word? What do you mean Moshe spoke? What should it say? To whom was Moshe speaking? So it should say Moshe was saying to Hashem. It doesn't say that. What does it say? Moshe is speaking? Hashem. El Hashem. Listen to this creative answer of Rav Yosef, Suraz, and the Megad Yosef. Moshe is about to wrestle with Hashem. He again demurs, he hesitates. Hashem recruits him and he says, The people didn't listen, Paro won't listen, let me go back to my life. But he's starting to learn his lesson. Don't be so brazen. To challenge Hashem directly. So Hashem says, no bo, come with me. Let's go. We're going to redeem the people. Now Moshe speaks to himself within earshot of Hashem. And he says, I don't know. People don't listen. How's Paro gonna listen to me? I don't know how this is gonna work out. Did you get that? You know, I don't know how this is going to work out. So instead of his challenging Hashem, which is inappropriate in a breach of Derech Eretz, he just thinks out loud to himself, Hashem, so that Hashem hears him thinking to himself. That's what's going on. That's why. Hashem. Problem is that we see elsewhere twice that he doesn't think. Hashem. He says it to Hashem. So, why in those places versus these two places? And he goes on to address that question. But a very interesting observation, again, if there's a sensitivity to the text, why Lifne, not El, before Hashem, not to Hashem? And that led to this very creative suggestion and conclusion. Perik Vav, a good test. Turn the page. Amram took his aunt Yocheved as his wife and she bore him Aaron and Moshe and the years of Avram's life were 137 years. I saw also, here in my uh, I think I saw it here in my cousin's, my second cousin Sefer, he quotes from Moshe Salavechuk, not the Rav's father, the Rav Moshe Salavechik from Zurich from Switzerland. So, Amram married who? His aunt Yocheved. The boys who won't go out with a girl older than them, they're wrong. Because Amram went out with a girl who was older than him, his aunt Yocheved, and it produced a Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam. So clearly it's not so bad to be willing to go out with the girl who's older than you. <laughs> Interesting shudach advice from the Pasha) Also, should you go out with your aunt, I'll leave that for family politics, but that is nevertheless the conclusion. So, um, yeah. Kach Matcha. Yeah, Perg Pasuk Yud tes. Kach Matcha, take your staff and go. Now, beginning the, the Makos, the redemption begins. The redemption begins. I'm sorry, it's really Pasuk. It's Perek uh, Zayin, not Vav. Perek Zayin, Paseg We're beginning the Makos. Ten plagues, here we come. paro <laughs> So, first we have this demonstration that they come to advocate and represent Hashem. Moshe came with Aaron to paro, and he says, uh, make a wonder, take your staff and cast it down before paro, it will become a snake. Why, Aaron? Says Rashi, lefish higin Moshe, kishosh socho." Aaron. Aaron was the one who was the catalyst for the first two plagues. Why? Not Moshe. Because the same Yor that was good to Moshe spared and saved his life, it'd be tov. It would be an act of ingratitude for Moshe to strike the very thing that saved his life. You see this also again, not only with Dam Tsvardeh, but also you see it and moral Afar the Makkah of Kinim, who struck the earth, the ground? Aaron. Why these three again? Because it saved Moshe when he buried the Egyptian in the sand and therefore it'd be inappropriate for him, it'd be ingratitude to strike the thing that saved his life. So therefore it's done through Aaron. And of course the question, the famous question is, you have to show gratitude to water and sand? You have to show gratitude inanimate objects, why are we showing gratitude? Why are you showing gratitude? So Rabbi Rucham, Mashkiach of the Mir, of Dessler and others, they all say the same thing. You see something from here, a very powerful idea. We see from here that gratitude is not about the recipient. We don't say thank you so the recipient can hear a thank you. That's a secular notion of debt, debt, gratitude. How do we even use it in the vernacular? We describe in that language, we say, to pay the debt of gratitude. Gratitude is a debt you did something from me, I have to say thank you, that's how I pay my debt. But that's not the Jewish view, that's not the Torah view of gratitude. Gratitude is not a debt that you pay, it's not for the recipient because they need to hear it. Why do we express gratitude for the speaker, for the one who says it, for the giver of the gratitude? Not to pay off a debt, but because we need to be grateful. And what's the evidence? Because Moshe is grateful to sand and water. Moshe is expressing gratitude to inanimate objects. If gratitude is only about the recipient, that if the recipient can't hear, won't hear, is inanimate, you don't have to say thank you. But if gratitude is about conditioning and cultivating within ourselves an attitude of gratitude, you got to be grateful to everything. I'm grateful to the sun, that it's warm and beautiful and shining. I'm grateful to to be grateful to everything and every bracha in our lives. Why? So why does the giver need to give gratitude? And the answer is, we've said this many times from a footner, the root of the word hoda, which is gratitude, to be modeh means two things. It means to be grateful. And what's the other meaning? An admission. Model and al. I'm grateful to you. To be al. I'm grateful that you did something. le means you owe me a hundred bucks. I'm model. I admit, you're right, I agree. I acknowledge, I admit. Why are grateful and admit the same word? Could come up with another word. Why is the same word for grateful to admit? <coughs> Cedra Huttner. Every expression of gratitude is an admission. I needed you. I benefited from you. I gained because of you. That's why arrogant people can't say thank you. Arrogant people struggle to say thank you because every thank you is an admission. You did something good for me. You enhanced, you enriched my life. I needed you, thank you. I'm not independent, I depended on you. Humble people are grateful people. So the Torah wants us to be humble. And how can we become more (laughs) humble? By being more grateful. By expressing more gratitude, by saying thank you over and over and over again. Not only thank you to people, thank you to things. Moshe Rabbeinu demonstrates and teaches how to even be thankful to things so that we become more grateful. When we're more grateful, we'll be more humble. When we're more humble, we'll see Hashem in our life and we'll be even more grateful all together. Turn the page again. Turn two pages. Hashem says to Moshe, come. come. And if you don't, then going to strike you with Tzfar de'im. Sorry, Perik Zayin, pasuk. I'm out of order over here. It's Perik Vav, pasuk Chav Vav. Sorry, I went out of order. Going back, Aaron Moshe. The text changes." Sometimes we call him Moshe and Aaron, and sometimes we say Aaron and Moshe. Sorry, back to page 322. Sometimes it's Moshe and Aaron, sometimes it's Aaron and Moshe. Why do we switch off back and forth? Says Rashi, They were equal as one. What does it mean they were equal? Many interpretations of what it means they were equal. We've studied in the past. You can look at the past Parsha Shir. What does it mean they were equal? It's not that they were equal but they were equal in that each fulfilled their mission. Equal doesn't mean that we're all equal. Equal means we each have our own role and the degree to which a person fulfills their potential and practices their role, they're equal to the other. That's one interpretation. The Sofer has another interpretation. In last week's Pasha, Rabbi Howard spoke about this last week. When Hashem appoints Moshe, you know why Moshe hesitated for those seven days? Because Moshe says to himself, I have an older brother and my older brother has been the leader until now. And now I'm going to show up on the scene and declare, Aaron, thank you. You've done a fantastic job. I'm going to take over from here. Hashem appointed me, Hashem made me number one, Hashem said, I'm in charge. How do you do that to your older brother? How do you do that to your older brother who's worked hard to this point? So what was the answer? When Aaron finds out that Moshe is the man, how does he react? It's not fair to me. I can't believe it. Who does he think he is? I'm the older brother," <laughs> says the pasuk. <post-luck, speaking in Hebrew> Hashem tells Moshe, Aaron will see you, and he will be glad and happy in his heart. Aaron practices a midah called nosei ba'olim Chadero. but not the nosei ba'olim chaveru that we often think about. Moshe had the nosei ba'olim Chadero to be able to feel empathy and sympathy and feel the pain of another. Aaron had another type of nosei ba'olim Chadero. What was his nosei ba'olim Chadero? the capacity to fargin others, the ability to be happy for other people. That's also nosei ba'ol. Which is harder? To be nosei ba'olam chaveiro their sadness or nosei ba'olam chaveiro to take joy in their success? Which one's harder? So much harder to take joy in their success, why? Because when someone has something bad going on in their life, everybody's able to feel nosei ba'olam chaveiro. Why? Because we say to ourselves, thank God that's not me. They're the ones who have that problem. I'll cook a meal, I'll say Tehillim, I'll show up to a, a Tfila gathering, I'll take on to learn Mishnayos because thank God that's not me. But then something good happens for someone else. You say, why, why isn't that me? Why isn't my child getting married? Why aren't I having a baby? Why didn't I get a promotion at work? Why not me? It's so much harder to be no se ba'olam to take joy in someone else than it is to be no se ba'olam But who do we learn the concept of fargin, to be able to take joy, to be happy for another person? Aaron. We find it by Moshe and Aaron, but Aaron the first. Don't worry. You have nothing to hesitate, nothing to fear. Aaron will be happy for you. And that's what it means, says the Chhsam Sofer. You don't have to worry one is above the other when, when a person sees the other's success as their own. My brother succeeded. My brother got a promotion. My brother is well known. My brother is smarter than I. He's my brother, his success is my success. It's an extension of my own success. I said, bless you. I saw a book from an expert on parenting. What's the most important thing to teach children today? And she, she suggests it's exactly this. She doesn't use the language tefargin, but she says, we have to teach children how to be happy for someone else's success. Because we live in a world where all you do is scroll and be jealous with FOMO of everyone else. Oh, that's where they went on yeshiva week. Oh, that's their vacation. That's what they had for dessert. That's the new dress they got. That's the new what? That, oh, they just got engaged. Those are the new flower petals on the floor and the picture of the engagement. You're not really engaged unless you have flower petals on the floor and a picture on Simcha's spot. So we have to teach young people that notion to be no se Ba'ol and Chavero, to be happy, not jealous, but the capacity to see someone else's success and joy as our own and to be happy for them. Okay, we only have a few minutes left. What do we want to do? Go to Paro. Lech El Paro. Um, why the or Why in the water? we will skip that one. Why did Paro go to the water? Moshe and Aaron went to go find him at the water. Why was he at the Nile? Why was he at the river in the morning? Because that's where he went to relieve himself. He didn't want anyone to know he's human. He pr- tried to present himself as a deity. Yet, which was the real... What, what did the Egyptians worship? The Nile. Now, the question is asked... Well, if he was going to relieve himself so others wouldn't see, why go near the river? Just go in the backyard of the palace, find some bushes or hedges, find the trees, find a way to hide yourself and go relieve yourself there. No one will know you're merely human. Why go to the river? The answer is, excuse me for being crude, but all the mafarshim bring this down. This is not me. What's the answer? Near the bushes and the trees, there's cameras all over the palace. Someone can still see you. He didn't go near the river to relieve himself. Where did he go? In the river to relieve himself. He relieves himself, Kitanem and Gedolim, in the river. That's where he went to relieve himself, which comes out that who was Paro's God? What did he bow down to? The Nile. For his own covet and honor, he was willing to defecate on his God. That's what comes out. In order to preserve his own honor, his own ego led him to be willing to step all over, and worse, his own God. And we scoff and we laugh at that but do we not do the same? Maybe not literally, physically the way he did, but do we not step on our God when it comes to competing with our honor, our glory, our name, our ego? Our ego can also get in the way that we do the very same thing, that we do the same thing. You see the same phenomenon, what happens? They bring Tzfardea. I'm not going to tell it to you. I do every year because it's one of my favorites, but I'm not telling you the stipler on Tzfardea. I'm not telling it to you. So when you hit it, it multiplied, so why they keep hitting it? I'm not telling it to you. Pas <laughs> a So Moshe and Aaron bring tfardeah, Aaron brings tfardeah. And like gremlins, it's spreading all over Egypt. It was on Paro's head, in Paro's bed, on his nose, and his toes, everything we sing at the Seder. And what happens, the Khartumim, the magicians, say, Psh, we're not impressed. We can do the same thing. They do the exact same thing. Vaya alu es at and they make the tzvareidah come where, all over Egypt. What a bunch of morons! Are they out of their mind? So says the brisker. Says Rami Yeshua Soloveitchik. Roem she'ada muchan afil lahabitzaras al atzmo uvevad laochiyach shu yachol asos kmo chaveru olochiyach shechaveru eino yachol asos A person will be willing to self sabotage. A person will harm themselves just because of their ego, just to prove they can do it too. Just because they can do it too. Are you out of your mind? They, your friend ate the hot sauce, so you're gonna eat the hot sauce because you're competing with the hot sauce, but you can't tolerate hot sauce. Your friend was willing to invest all this money or do something extremely risky because they can afford to, but your ego gets in the way, you're gonna do it, even though it's gonna destroy you financially. Your friend, our ego, we self-sabotage and we destroy our own selves because our ego gets in the way. These chartumim, This is a plague. They brought a plague on you, and you brought a plague on yourself just to prove that you too can create the plague. But we do the same thing. Just like Paro. We step all over our God because of our ego. And just like the Khartoumim, we sabotage our own success. We inflict self-harm just because our own ego gets in the way. We read these partios not because we're cynically scoffing at others, we read these parashios because they're speaking to us. What can we learn? How can we improve? How could we not act like them? How can we not follow in their, in their footsteps? Ani Hashem. Oh, there's a whole section in here. Otzer plos Torah. I didn't, I didn't get to any of the otzer plos at Torah. He has a whole section. You see from here. First of all, these Tfardea. Okay. These Tfardea. What were they? Who were they? These Tfardea. Tasting Amazing. Fantastic. First of all, these Tfardea made peace between Egyptians and Africans. Where was the boundary? Where's the border? So the frogs made peace. Why? Because when the plague of frogs struck, you saw where the frogs stopped going and now they knew established exactly where their border was. So the Medrash says, it created a peace between the two. And if you look in the Sefer HaYalas HaShach, Arav Shtein Menzatzal, Tzorch Now it only works that it could make peace because they interpreted the plague of frogs that it was divinely ordained. Otherwise it wouldn't have made peace for them to decide exactly where their boundary was. But that's not, that's not the fantastic thing. You want something fantastic? Listen to this. The Ibn Ezra says, "Tzvardeya is not frogs. You know what Tzvardeya were? They were a reptile called a prush pei reish alaf shin." Rabbeinu Bachaya, however, says, "Tzvardeya min hamashchis hanikra. The Tzvardeya were a reptile that comes that destroys that is called kuf Resh alaf kuf alaf dalad yud Lamed. crocodile." min anar adam that comes out of a river and snatches people and swallows them. That's Rabbi Bechayah. Rabbi Bechayah lived in Spain in the 12th century, not in Boca Raton with iguanas falling out of trees because of the cold weather. And he says that Tzfardea were not frogs. the Tzfardea were crocodiles. And then, of course, only the Otzer Plos would have a whole discussion about crocodiles and frogs and which one, and Tzfardea. Others say Tzfardea, Tzana de Be'elio says Tzfardea is Tzipur Sheyish Bodeya deya. It was some kind of a, a bird but that operated on the land that had a wisdom. So what was the We've all learned this parsha a billion times. Get the Plaza Torah. You'll have a lot of fun at the Seder table this year. Instead of dropping plastic frogs everywhere, crocodiles. Rent a crocodile for a Seder this year on a leash. Or at Tzvah Shishpo Deya. and figure all that out. Amazing. has a whole section in here. About how Gedola Yisrael used to go to zoos and loved animals, because the pasuk at the end of the parsha, he by as Goshen. Arov. So the Sefer HaYasher quotes that they saw the Chaios in Mitzrayim. Were the Jews watching the plagues? Did they look out the window to watch? And were they amazed when they saw what Hashem did? And from here, you see, it's brought down. that Look at Hashem's creatures. The Heliga Ba'ashem Tov says, Bashemtov. I think Rabbi Kelmer descended from the Bashemtov, so we began and ended with Rabbi Kelmer, that when a Kodesh Baruch Hu, <laughs> that we should look and watch and see Hashem's wonders in His physical universe, in the animal kingdom. The Leket Yosher says about his Rebbe, the Truma Sadeshan, who said, Al-Atsmo, Lo he had never seen a lion. Two lions were brought to his city, and he left the Beis Medrash to make the effort to go see these lions. The Khidah says, When I was young in London, He says, I once went to the zoo. I saw these animals who were behind uh, iron fences. It's brought down by the Oif Shalom, the Kamina Rebbe, that he went to, to uh, Vienna to get medical treatment. While there, he went to the zoo. And it's brought down from the Divre Chaim of Tzans, that he went to the zoo to go see the animals, the Dachet Shuva, all these Gedol Yisrael who would go to zoos. The Arugas Abosam was asked, in Mutalelech, the circus. Can you go to the circus to see these animals? The Lohros Nasa was asked on and on about, about the role of, not just in Yerushalayim, the biblical zoo where you connect the Psukim, but the role of seeing animals. When Rav Asher Weishlita, the Minchas, uh, the Minchas Asher, came to Boca several years ago and there was a break between Ishiram and I asked what he wanted to do. He said, I want to go to the Everglades and see the crocodiles. We went to the Everglades and we took an airboat tour and we went. And at the end of the airboat tour, there's a little zoo with a lot of animals. And my children were with us, and he kept telling them the most obscure facts. Did you know this bird is the only bird that has the this and the that and the other thing? I said, Rebbe, he said, you know, if I wasn't going to go into learning, I wanted to be a zoologist. He loves animals. He knows everything he knows by heart. So he once read the encyclopedia. He knows everything there is to know about animals by heart. Gedoli Israel felt in tune and connected to all the creations of Hashem and to these animals and he has a long essay and discussion of this in there. It's fascinating. So don't think, oh, it's Bittal Torah. Don't look at the animals. Put your head back in the base Medrash. Taking, go on safari. Go on safari is also a key in connecting to Hashem and His world and His creatures and His creations and see the magnificence and the beauty of Hashem's world. A lot more to talk about tomorrow morning, 10 minutes of Mesil Susharim, then living with Muna tomorrow night. Fantastic conversation with Rav Meizlam and the Rosh Hashiva of Torah S'mosham behind the bima. Fascinating discussion. Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and stay holy.